This is a WKYT podcast. Good morning from WKYT News. I'm Bill Bryant and we welcome you to Kentucky Newsmakers. We hope you're enjoying your weekend. We'll be talking to Kentucky Attorney General Daniel Cameron in just a few minutes on some various issues. First, this is a time of reflection in America and here in Kentucky as we confront tough issues like racial inequality, the actions of police and protests that have varied in tone around the country. This week, some leaders in Lexington's black faith community called out for change. Sadly, some white faith leaders openly encourage the very status quo that perpetuates the malignant cancer of racism. We are here to say no more. Enough is enough, and we demand justice. We demand positive change. The recent and egregious and racist events around the murder of Ahmed Aubrey in Brunswick, Georgia, just running while black, the murder of Breonna Taylor in Louisville, Kentucky, just sleeping while black, and the murder seen around the world of George Floyd in Minneapolis, Minnesota, just can't breathe while black, has, another further, has further compelled us to share on this date we could go on with other names from years, decades, and centuries of injustice, of racial profiling, of police brutality, lynchings, voter suppressing, economic and health disparities, and the systematic racism that has haunted African Americans around this country. But we've come this day to say no more. Lexington Police Chief Lawrence Weathers has a long history in law enforcement and in the community. The future Chief Weathers and his nine brothers and sisters grew up in Lexington's Bluegrass Aspendale and Hollow Creek neighborhoods. He holds degrees from UK and EKU and first joined the police department more than 30 years ago in 1989. He's pushed hard to keep away kids from illicit drugs as well over the years. So Chief Weathers has a unique perspective. He has called the early peaceful protest in Lexington a call to action. And he joins us now on Kentucky Newsmakers. Chief Weathers, thank you very much uh, for taking a few minutes to speak with us during a very busy uh, and pivotal time, uh, certainly. We appreciate it a lot. When you see, you. When you see what happened in uh, Milwaukee with George Floyd, and you're well aware of the issues surrounding the death of Breonna Taylor in Louisville here in Kentucky, is it any surprise at all to you that there has been very strong reaction uh, across the country uh, and here locally? Uh, no, it, it's, it's no surprise. Um, yeah, I don't think anybody can argue that it it uh, it's, it it does happen disproportionately, and that's something that needs to change. You know, there have been calls for change, strong calls. Some cities have seen violence and vandalism. Lexington's protests have been more peaceful, with respectful interactions among protesters and the police. What do you think has made the difference in the community here? I think what's uh, made the, the difference is, is what um, what was started um, by several chiefs. Uh, 
before I before I became uh, chief, um, and that's the uh, we adopted wholeheartedly the concept of community policing. And not to say that that's perfect, and not to say that that has uh, kept us from from having any problems, but it has made us more open and more susceptible to other people's ideas. And when you say community policing, uh, describe what that looks like. Look, we're, we're not separate from the community. Everybody wants to think that uh, our thin blue line uh, is, a, is a wall. Well, it's not, you know. A thin blue line is, is, is just a, 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 a description of, of what we are. We're here to protect those who need protecting. And it's not a large number of us, it's a small amount of us. So that's a thin, that's a thin blue line. But we can't have people afraid to call us, afraid to approach us, afraid to seek us out, and afraid to talk to us. That thin blue line is a bright line that calls all of us, or should call everyone to come to us. Uh, as this week has uh, unfolded, uh, you have uh, made some policy changes, and one of those is on the no-knock warrants, which you say is very unusual uh, when it is used in Lexington, but you are making a change there. Uh, yes, sir. Uh, you know, it's it's probably been a little over a year since we even have to execute a no-knock search warrant, and even when we do, we have a highly trained, specialized team that goes in um, uh, with uh, prominent police identifiers, and uh, and uh, they uh, they loudly identify themselves. Um, but but that's that's a tool that we can use. There are several other tools that we can use to accomplish the job. And more times than not, we use other tools to accomplish what we need to get done. So um, the policy change. Um, was to ensure that at the highest levels of the police department, if we're going to use that tactic or that uh, that tactic is being considered, that the uh, decision makers in the highest part of the police department have input in that. Uh, meaning you or an assistant chief uh, would have to sign off on, on its use, right? Yes, sir. Some in the community, as you know, believe that uh, the, collecting bar the collective bargaining contract between officers and the city leaves some accountability loopholes, that it, uh, it leaves uh, things that are uh, difficult to solve quickly uh, because of what's granted in that agreement. Do you have concerns? Or do you think that that agreement needs to be looked at? Um, I always tell people we're constantly reviewing our policies and we have to be that, that we have to do that uh, with, with that agreement. Um, it, it has to be constantly, constantly reviewed. Um, if something's not right in it, then um, you probably need to approach uh, our collective bargaining uh, agents and and try to work something out and try to figure out what what we can do. Um, you know, we're here for the people, and if the people don't like what we're doing, uh, we we have to change. We have to do it better. We have to do it to accommodate the people that we work for. Do you believe that with what's going on right now, there will be change going forward? No, oh, well, uh, yeah, it's going to have to be. I mean, because the people that employ us want it. 
Is training during those weeks uh, in an academy or even the earning of a degree in law enforcement uh, enough or is there a need for more uh, ongoing education and training uh, throughout a, a police officer's career, which I assume there is a, a lot of that that goes on now. Yeah, well, our, our basic academy is anywhere from 32 to 35 weeks long. After that, you have 15 weeks of uh, on-the-job training with a, with a training officer. After that, you know, every officer is assigned to a supervisor, and that supervisor closely monitors that officer. Uh, after a year and a half of being on the police department, uh, that officer is finally off probation. But every year, we have to go through constant uh, training that's required by the state. We also do update training throughout the year, and, uh, sometimes twice a year, sometimes four, uh, four times a year on, on uh, skills and just, just so our officers are kept up to date on how they're supposed to be doing things and what the policy says. Our training is continuous throughout an officer's career. I still, get, I still have to go to training. Uh, I still learn new things. Uh, I think it's that way with, with, with every job. And yeah, um, I think our academy is, is right for us. The time we spend in it, I think it's, it's right for us. Uh, to me, Lexington has a, a, has a uniqueness about it and we can't, uh, we can't just have an cat academy with a small amount of time. I think uh, most of the academies go anywhere from 20 to 25 weeks. Yeah. Do uh, you like I said, we're higher than that. Chief, do you suspect that the, that the training will change some and uh, you know, some of the protocols will change uh, as a result of the issues that have been brought to light? Uh, like I said, we're constantly reviewing our training to make it better and to make it more acceptable to the community. Um, I have no doubt that if we find something that's, that needs to be done better and it will make it more acceptable that our training would change. Is there a demeanor among officers that you think uh, uh, could change? And that's a very broad brush. I, I recognize that, and, and everybody is uh, an individual and, and has their own way. But uh, is is there a, a, a certain way you want them to approach a, a situation? What I would, what the way I want my officers to approach uh, uh, any any situation is. They got to look at the situations individually. They got to look at the people involved in those situations individually. And they need to get to know the people that are involved in there as best they can and let those people get to know them. In short, um, our officers, I, I would like for our officers to present themselves as being human first and police officers second. How do you recruit officers? And uh, is it a challenge to, uh, to hire minorities in law enforcement at this time? It, it is a, it is a challenge just because of everything that's been happening in law enforcement at, at least probably the last 20 years but i know definitely the last 10 years um it, this um, i'll give you a for instance when i uh, applied for the police department uh, there were 1300 applicants taking the test mm -hmm. now if you apply for the police department we do uh, our um, our testing in segments, we may get 300 to 400, maybe 500 applicants. Uh, some of these things, some of the things that, have ha that are happening across the country, uh, this job is not desirable to minorities or, or people of color. 
but that's where we have to get out and we have to really work hard you know traditionally we would go to those colleges that um, um where they had uh classes and uh, tra- uh that uh specialized in law enforcement is it uh, always uh, chief is it always uh, you know somebody who uh, grows up wanting to be a police officer who's uh, likely to be the best kind of candidate or uh, is it sometimes somebody who uh, along the way uh, figures out maybe even after they've done a, a, a career or part of a career in something else that this is the way they like to serve well, most yeah, most of the people and <laughs> like me probably had no idea that they'd end up in law uh, in law enforcement uh, the best uh, the best people I feel that are, are good for this job are are people that have uh, varied life experiences or uh, varied interactions with other people uh, and they know how to talk to people and they know how to communicate and they're used to that and they're used to being around people with different people those are the best people for, for law enforcement we can't just go to those colleges with majors in law enforcement we have to look at uh, other fields. I have to look at social work. I have to look at nursing. We have to look at people in, uh, uh, in the business field. We have to look at people all all over. Um, and if you don't go to college, you, you know, we have to look at those people too. You know, we recruit from all over. If I'm standing in a, a, a grocery store line and I see a young person and I, and I look at them and I go, that's a, that's a nice person. I wonder what they think about uh, being in law enforcement. I approach them and I talk to them about it. Sometimes they join you? Yeah, sometimes, sometimes they do. Chief, if we can look back on this time and, and have the perspective that that gives, uh, and there has been positive change as we look back on the, uh, the events of recent weeks, uh, what do you think that might look like uh, here in Lexington and across the country? Uh, if I understand the question, if yes. we, if we had started doing some of these things earlier well if we i'm just saying is if we we get an opportunity to look back and w- there has been progress made uh in the next year or so couple of years what what will that look like if it is the kind of change you think we need to see uh i, I think uh you look at a more progressive a more understanding police department i think you know with that probably comes less arrest more community involvement as as far as the community being involved in their own public safety. Uh, I think um, I think there'll be a lot of, of, of people brought together because of it. And I think you'll see a whole lot of more community interaction. And we've been seeing that. And uh, and uh, as you have said, it uh, works on both sides. The community can give you the information and support you need and and uh, you need them. Uh, and uh, we, uh, we appreciate uh, very much uh, you speaking with us this morning uh, and be safe. Uh, well, thank you, sir. Thanks for having me. Thank you. And we're coming back. The Attorney General of the Commonwealth of Kentucky, Daniel Cameron, will be with us next on Kentucky Newsmakers. Welcome back to Kentucky Newsmakers. Kentucky Attorney General Daniel Cameron is a little less than six months into his term serving the Commonwealth. It has been busy these past few months. COVID-19 has led to changes, uh, also to legal challenges. Also, the deaths of George Floyd in Minnesota and Breonna Taylor right here in Kentucky have led to protests. Daniel Cameron is the first African-American to be elected to the Office of Attorney General here in the Commonwealth of Kentucky. He's a Republican. We're happy to talk with him here on Kentucky. 
Kentucky Newsmakers. General Cameron, thanks for joining us. Well, thank you for having me as always, Bill. In light of the, uh, the deaths of uh, Breonna Taylor and George Floyd, uh, uh, there have been these protests around the uh, nation and here in Kentucky uh, that we're seeing right now. W what are your thoughts on that as you observe that? Well, um, what I have, have, have communicated to people is that uh, what we are uh, seeing as it relates to the peaceful protest is really uh, black and brown communities here in our country uh, identifying and protesting about concerns and grievances that they have uh, within our country. And those are legitimate concerns. And I think it's wholly appropriate uh, to have peaceful protest uh, within our within our country and specifically here uh, in the Commonwealth. Uh, I certainly recognize throughout history uh, protest, peaceful protest has been a way uh, for our communities of color to address grievances. Uh, historically, uh, this has been a way for our country to grow and, and uh, develop uh, into a, a better future. So I'm wholly understanding of uh, and support the peaceful protests that we've seen. Uh, I find what occurred in uh, Minneapolis as it relates to Mr. Floyd uh, abhorrent and uh, glad to see the, uh, the right steps are being taken there. I obviously can't comment on the um, Breonna Taylor situation because my office has the uh, prosecuting authority on that case, and we are, uh, I think, on the cusp of getting uh, the remainder of the investigation from yeah. the Public Integrity Unit. We, we understand uh, so that, that generally. Is, is there, can you assure uh, the public that, uh, that that will be a thorough uh, investigation? I absolutely can assure everyone that is uh, watching this program that this will be a thorough and fair investigation. Uh, that's why I was elected to this role, uh, to apply the law equally and fairly uh, to everyone that's in the Commonwealth of Kentucky. And I assure you that that's what we will do in this case. The many uh, discussions underway uh, across the country and here in Kentucky, uh, Governor Andy Bashir has called for the Jefferson Davis statue to be removed from the state capitol rotunda. It's uh, just down the hall from where you are right now. He calls it divisive. Uh, what are your thoughts on that? I support um, relocating the statue. That's obviously not a decision that either me or um, the governor gets to make. I believe there's a committee that ultimately makes that determination. but. Uh, I do support uh, relocating that statue. Let's talk about uh, the COVID-19, some of the uh, issues that we've had here in recent weeks. You appeared in front of a House committee, uh, and that uh, was uh, yesterday, or the, as we're taping that at the end of the week. Uh, Governor Bashir used emergency powers uh, that were granted in a 1998 law that uh, really gives the governor broad authority uh, to deal with uh, a situation like a pandemic. You think that law needs to be revisited? Well, the discussion we were having yesterday in front of the Joint uh, Judiciary Interim Committee uh, was a conversation about uh, 39A in its its current existence. As you noted, uh, Bill, that was passed in 1998 uh, when the General Assembly passed that bill. I don't think they contemplated that we'd have an extended pandemic uh, that uh, we would have to deal with. I think it was contemplated uh, that that would um, address more immediate and intense emergencies uh, as opposed to a long-term protracted pandemic. And so what I was uh, sharing yesterday were the thoughts of 
my office as it relates to uh, the powers of the governor in a protracted, protracted emergency. Uh, we have received countless calls and countless emails within this office expressing the concern of Kentuckians as it relates to the arbitrary nature of some of the executive orders uh, that have been is issued. For instance, uh, for a long time, big box stores uh, and liquor stores were allowed to remain open, uh, but churches uh, and other faith-based gatherings had to close their doors. Um, we obviously uh, went to uh, join a lawsuit to uh, challenge the constitutionality of that order. Uh, two judges, uh, one that was appointed by President Barack Obama, uh, the other appointed by George W. Bush, came to independent determinations uh, that that ban on faith-based gatherings was unconstitutional. I was glad to see that the governor rescinded his order after uh, those judges found that ban unconstitutional. Uh, the travel ban was arbitrary in its nature as well. Uh, that was found unconstitutional by another federal judge here in Kentucky. Uh, those are just some instances in which um, it seemed arbitrary, the decisions that were made. And look, what I've said from the beginning is that uh, from the president uh, to Governor Bashir, uh, to our county judge executives, to our mayors, they've got an incredibly important uh, responsibility to keep our folks safe. And I certainly sympathize with that responsibility. But I have that responsibility and the responsibility to make sure that we are protecting the constitutional rights of our citizens. Attorney General Bill Barr said recently that even in the midst of a pandemic, the Constitution is not suspended. And so we have to have a delicate balance that we strike. Uh, and I think uh, we have ultimately struck the right balance here in Kentucky. So you think in the end it, it uh, the, the right balance was reached. Uh, the governor uh, said he believes that lives were saved as a result of uh, actions uh, taken by him and the executive branch. Uh, you feel that once you made these legal challenges that things then uh, came out about where they should be? Well, we continue to, continue to monitor um, the decisions. One of the great concerns that we have now, and it's something that has been a concern uh, throughout the uh, uh, the entirety of this pandemic and the emergency declaration is that people are often confounded by whether some of the orders that have been issued are recommendations or are they requirements. We ultimately uh, have received a lot of calls mm -hmm. on that front. So we continue to monitor uh, the decisions that have been made as it relates to a phased reopening here in Kentucky. Uh, ultimately, again, my job is to look out for the constitutional rights and concerns of our citizens uh, to make sure that the, the laws and the orders that are issued are applied equally. Um, it is a great challenge, and we've tried to, uh, to do that uh, very deliberately uh, and approach it in a way that respects the public safety concerns and the health concerns, but also uh, make sure that we continue to afford the constitutional rights uh, that are guaranteed to our citizens. Attorney General Cameron, uh, you and Auditor Mike Harmon uh, rung some bells about a data breach within state government that you said under the law should have been reported to your offices immediately and you indicate uh, that was not the case. Yes, sir. Um, we were made aware of a security breach at the Education and Workforce uh, Development uh, Cabinet uh, and once our Office of Consumer Protection reached out to them, uh, we were uh, not given the information within the three-day period. Uh, House Bill 5, which I think was passed in 2014, 
uh, requires that once there is a security breach identified, it's to be uh, disclosed to uh, the auditor, the Kentucky State Police, and the Attorney General. Uh, that was not done in this situation. Um, in fact, it was nearly a month uh, from uh, when the breach occurred to when the information was supplied. Uh, and so that lack of communication is obviously concerning to me. We now have the ability uh, to uh, investigate and look into, through the Office of Consumer Protection, uh, that breach, and we are uh, in the midst of uh, conducting that investigation currently. Uh, but what I've advocated is that people from uh, March 1 to April 30th who've been uh, applying for unemployment insurance or unemployment benefits, uh, which is nearly 40% of our uh, citizenry here in the Commonwealth uh, should keep an eye uh, on their uh, information and uh, any bank accounts that they have because they could have been subjected to that security breach. So it's a great concern for yeah. myself and Auditor Harmon, and uh, we're looking into it. How much, uh, in, in just about a minute left here, but how much uh, concern during the pandemic and now after, as we uh, are beginning an economic recovery here, uh, do you have about uh, price gouging, scams, and so forth uh, that uh, may have been uh, taking advantage of people in a, in a vulnerable situation? Yeah, we continue to, to look into uh, the price gouging uh, reports that we get here in the office and the COVID-19 scams. Uh, we've had a good relationship with, with Amazon that helped us identify uh, some of the uh, third-party sellers that were on uh, their online platform that were trying to price gouge folks here in Kentucky, and we issued cease and desist orders to get that, that uh, activity stopped. Uh, so it continues to be something that our office and the Office of Consumer Protection looks at very closely. Uh, our folks are continuing uh, to work on those issues and, and we continue to look out for Kentuckians on that front. Attorney General Cameron, thank you so much uh, for taking time out in a busy time and uh, we appreciate you updating us on uh, some things going on with your office. My pleasure, thank you for having me as always. And we hope you'll stay with us on WKYT's Kentucky Newsmakers. We'll be right back. Quick reminder that Kentucky's primary is coming up June 23rd and the last day to request a ballot is June 16th. And of course you need to return that by June 23rd. That's Kentucky Newsmakers. Thank you so much for joining us. We'll see you bright and early this week on WKYT This Morning and we hope you make it a good week ahead.